This is Brianna. I never thought I would do a PhD. I never did. I, I, I never thought I was smart enough or good enough. What happened to you in 2012? Oh, we're going there. Um, well, basically, everything fell apart. The vision I had for my life, the vision I had for who I'd spend it with, was no longer in the picture. So I went through a pretty terrible breakup. And yeah, just I never had that experience where I felt like the whole world just fell underneath me just like gone. Nothing to stand on. Brianna is a social worker, researcher, teacher, writer, heart coach, and wears many more hats when the vision she had for her life with the man she was going to marry shattered. Brianna turned to what she knew best, her heart, her wonderlust, and her passion to serve. From her greatest heartache came her signature calling, known as heart rehab. Heart rehab is heart healing, heart work. Uh, it's essentially removing yourself from relationships and creating space in your world to define your own happiness. You're listening to Face Your Fierce. I'm Meg Murphy. I'm Ellen e. Lee. In this podcast, we bring you stories of trailblazing women who are living their lives outside the lines. We are kind of in our pajamas, and we've had women all over the world, Berlin, Paris, Vancouver, who are also in their pajamas. That's awesome. Well, no, I'm sitting at my desk, um, marking papers, and uh, have not an ounce of makeup on, and in my pajamas. Sometimes there's no pants. So at least you're wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have pants on. Okay. Which is, I guess, I can't yeah, guarantee I, the same okay. for myself. <laughs> We're so happy you're here. You're marking papers. What part? What papers are you marking? My students who are doing a research class, they're having to reflect on how their values and biases are influencing the research process. Oh. It's, yeah, so there's some, like, super deep stuff that I'm reading. It's really, um, it's really interesting. It's hard to mark these kinds of things because it's, there's not a black, it's not like a right and wrong, black and white kind of issue. It's more just how they're processing and reflecting on the research. What is your PhD thesis? It's looking at the reflective behaviors and reflective practices of social workers who work in international development. Whoa, tell me more. What does that mean? I know. Wait, what? (laughs) Okay. So as social workers, we are taught to reflect. We acknowledge uh, our triggers, our values, especially when working across such a variety of communities, right, all over the world. So I'm really interested in how social workers are reflecting. So by reflecting, I mean talking to people, um, having like formalized supervision with a staff member, um, going out for drinks and like talking about their day or journaling. All of those things are like acts of reflection. So how they're reflecting in their work when they're working in international development settings, which tend to be like high stress, really dynamic and dealing with a lot of cross-cultural issues. And you've done international work as well with NGOs? Yes. Were you a social worker in that context? Yes. And how did you find that? How did you reflect when it was your turn? Um, I didn't do a very good job of it. 
I tried to mask some of the issues that I was facing, um, especially around safety and security. And I found that within my organization, there wasn't a place to reflect. It was like, get it done. A lot of focus on outcomes and outputs, not on the process. Where did you work in an NGO? As a, where were you? Most recently, I was in Kingston, Jamaica a couple of years ago. And then before that, I was in South Africa. So I was like, I was in places where there was a widespread violence, especially against women. And I found that my mental health was suffering as a result because of the, the tensions I was feeling in my day-to-day work. Not to take away how much I love the work, but I didn't really have an outlet. So I'm kind of hoping to get to some of the emotional pieces. But also, I just would like to say, too, that I come from a place of privilege. If I'm just coming in being like, I've been hired to do this job, so therefore I know how to do it my way, the right way, but I'm not reflecting on the process. And if I am, superficially maybe, I'm not really digging at, am I doing this the right way for them based on the community? And oftentimes I don't have the time or space to really reflect on the process. So I think sometimes reflection... Well, we say we do it. I don't know if we really dig deep sometimes and do it well. Yeah. And what, what drew you in? Like, you know, do people wake up one day and say, I'm going to do a PhD that takes years and years and I'm going to write a thesis about this one topic? Uh, I never thought I would do a PhD. I never did. I, I, I never thought I was smart enough or good enough. I think what what triggered it for me was my love of teaching and my love of educating. Now, the topic itself, I mean, it has evolved so many times and probably will continue to. What was it that drew you to social work in the first place? A trip to India. My first time overseas, I was finishing a degree in communications. I wanted to become a radio or TV journalist, Megan. Oh, no. Don't do it. (laughs) I didn't do it. Uh, So, no. So I went to India as like a student on an adventure. Started to see how other people live their lives. It challenged my entire worldview. I'm like a highly emotive, intuitive human being. I was like, okay, I can't do nothing. And I felt it. As a highly intelligent but emotive and intuitive person, how has that gotten you into trouble? Uh, probably burnout, probably caring a little too much, you know, boundaries, right. Are a thing we talk about in social work. I've had to learn the hard way, like how to not take everything on as my own, like as my problem and knowing when the client's responsibilities start and end and then mine start and end. Where did that come from? The taking things on? I, I'm just like an eternal, I guess, optimist and wanting to change everything and make everything perfect, or at least try to like help somebody. I mean, I think it took some some maturity and wisdom to realize that there's only so much a one person can do and that's okay. Right, and in terms of avoiding burnout and taking care of yourself, what has worked and what hasn't worked? So what has worked for me so far are taking regular breaks, regimented breaks, and knowing when I need to take a step back. And I will. And I've decided that it's a journey, not a race. I'll finish when I finish, do the best quality work I can when I feel like I can. Not just because I should be sitting in front of my computer. I take lots of naps. Yay! Oh, I love naps. Oh, so 
good. <laughs> They're glorious. So I love taking naps. Um, and what hasn't worked? Probably like pushing through when it wasn't, when it didn't feel right. And I'm really trying to listen to like my initial response to certain things. I'm like, hey, if that's like a, a hell yeah, then it's going to go forward. And if it's like a maybe, then don't do it. What happened to you in 2012? Oh, we're going there. Um, well, basically, everything fell apart, or so I thought. The vision I had for my life, the vision I had for who I'd spend it with, was no longer in the picture. So I went through a pretty terrible breakup, and yeah, just I never had that experience where I felt like the whole world just fell underneath me, just like gone. Nothing to stand on. I had to start over. What was the vision that you had created? So I had this vision that we would be two humanitarians traveling the world. I would follow him. He wouldn't follow me. I'd follow him. Uh, he had more prestige attached to his, well, or so I thought, to his title. He was a doctor. And we would live happily ever after in these like really glamorous ex expatriate sort of ways. And what happened? He started fulfilling his dreams and was going to move away. He told me he was doing it without me. He didn't see me there. He's like, nope, I'm doing it by myself. Sorry. What was the first thought you had when you heard those words? No way. Like, oh shit. What? You can't do this to me. Why were you willing to follow someone who wasn't willing to follow you? What was yeah, it? Yeah, great question. I think the whole relationship was like that. Honestly, now that, you know, when you kind of pull it apart, you tease it out later. I realized that I had him so high on a pedestal and I would do anything for him to keep him. And I thought that was the way to keep him bow to you, whatever you want, because I wasn't going to cause any trouble. Like I was just going to be the polite girlfriend who just kind of went along. And uh, the relationship was set up to fail because of that, right? Like I didn't, I didn't really have a voice in it. Where does that come from? Yes, sir. No, sir. Whatever you want, sir. I think it's this horrible ingrained idea or perception that men rule the roost. Like I grew up in a family that was very male dominated and women were seen and portrayed as secondary citizens. In some ways, I spent most of my 20s and early 30s in relationships where I was the pleaser and didn't feel I had value. And what did it feel like to be crushed or deflated? It's so awful. I promised myself I'd never, ever feel that way again. I just felt like so worthless, so useless, just like I have nothing. Or so I thought, right? So when you say you'll never feel that way again, what does that mean? It means, it means that I will never put 100% of my happiness and my self-worth into another human being. I love myself more and enough so that no one can take that away from me ever again. 
I was always optimistic that I would find love. I went through what, what I call now heart rehab. And this is what I help other women with. To get myself to a place where I knew that the next relationship I entered into, I would be completely okay no matter how it ended. Or if it ended. And I can sit here today and say to you that I'm deeply in love in the most profound relationship. I think it's the confidence or the ability to articulate myself and to be secure and to know who I am and to put all these things into the relationship that makes it what it is. And how does someone turn heartbreak into strength? You have, well, you have to feel it all. You can't pretend it's not there. I tell my clients, lean into every single emotion completely and totally. I think if you're not willing to let yourself be completely vulnerable to the situation and to process it completely and totally, I don't know that you're going to come out feeling you can take on the world because you didn't take it on. You sort of avoided it. Yeah, you have to do what it is that you need. So you, I think you have to surround yourself with love. You have to cry. You have to put on Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> you have to push yourself to go outside of your, you know, of your own misery sometimes. Like you need to find something that's bigger than you to believe in. Not judge yourself for any of it. What is heart rehab? Heart rehab is heart healing, heart work. Uh, it's essentially removing yourself from relationships and creating space in your world to define your own happiness. What's the vision now? I'm driving my own ship. I'm going to do this and that and this. And it's about me creating a space in the world that's mine. You know, hopefully becoming a professor one day. And I'm open to wherever that takes me and my partner's on board. And on this podcast, we talk a lot about different, coloring outside the lines. What would you say makes you the most different? I think I'm different because I haven't been bound by geography. Um, I think I'm also different in that at this point in my life, I'm doing a PhD. And I always joke with lots of people that I'm birthing this PhD rather than birthing children. Uh, and I think being a single girl without kids at this age is a diversity step. Um, and I haven't let the pressures of, oh, you should be doing this, that, and the other by now influence my decisions. How old are you? 36, 37 in like two weeks. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel that pressure? I'm 37 too, single, no kids. Do you feel that pressure, even though you're sort of okay with it? Oh, Do yeah. You I used to let it define me, and I used to be ashamed. It's hard, yes, especially when, you know, you get the, the typical questions that are just so annoying, and I, Yeah. When there's like the, the boxes that are like single or married, I create my own, like none of your business and who cares. 
right? Like, I just think it's so ridiculous. So I like to create so, new boxes too, but say things like, um, uh, instead of single and married, I put dodged a bullet and I check that box. And, <laughs> and then, uh, for the children, when I let, when people ask me, I like to make them uncomfortable and, and tell them that like, I can't have children. Would you like to know all about it? I can physically, but I like to put them on the spot and make them uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, this is perfect. That's exactly the sorts of things I challenge people with. And we, we often talk about, you know, the, the gifts of being different. Mm -hmm. What were the costs of being different? Probably isolation and, and sort of some loneliness, not really being understood. Yeah, I think, I, I think I've lost a lot of people along the way friends and people who just for whatever reason just fall off because you don't really have anything in common anymore or they don't really take the time to understand. So if you could go back to that girl who was listening to Sarah McLaughlin and broken hearted and crying on her pillow, if you could go now to her, what would you say? I would say you've so got this and chill out. Take your time. It will be okay. Don't worry. And he's not worth it. <laughs> Pick yourself up. And has regret ever played a role on your journey? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I think I, I've regretted staying in relationships uh, too long. But at the same time, I mean, I don't think I would be where I am now if those things hadn't happened and certainly would not have created heart rehab. In fact, I thanked him. Wow. thanked him yeah it was super powerful and people thought I was nuts like why why would you go out of your way to go and see this guy so wait a minute you went to see him in person you went to see your ex who crushed you took your vision yeah. destroyed it you went to see him in person yeah what did you say well it was like a lot of sort of superficial chit chat right at the beginning we hadn't seen each other in like three years shut um, up so three years later you go and see him said to him, thank you. Oh How did he react to that? I think he was so surprised. I'm like getting flushed just thinking about it because it was so awesome. Um, but he was still the same in all the ways that I didn't like. That must have been so validating. Yeah. And given you kind of a full circle sense of completion. It was. It was really cool. Where does that courage come from? <laughs> oh, I've never been one to shy away from like any sort of adversity or, yeah, I don't know. I just really wanted to face it. I was curious. I'm like a deeply curious person, right? I was like, what's he going to look like? What's he going to say? Wow, I'm really proud of you for that. Um, I think it, it took me some time to forgive myself, right, in terms of staying with this person for so long mm -hmm. and then being able to go back and see him and be like, okay, like, I got over it. I did the right thing. So what's next? What are you working on? Well, my PhD life continues. Yeah, I'm really enjoying coaching and would love to do more work with women, especially around how we shouldn't be ashamed of our differences. Let's, uh, celebrate them instead, especially in our 30s. Continuing to travel. You were afraid of your 30s. Are you afraid of your 40s? No. I'm kind of excited. I don't feel my age. I don't 
really act it. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, whatever, right? I think I'm afraid maybe of my body in my mm. 40s, but I'm not afraid of my 40s. Well, it has been a total pleasure talking to you. Likewise, ladies. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Face Your Fierce, sponsored by Inner Outer Wealth and Meg Murphy Productions. Our music is provided by Poddington Bear. If you've enjoyed these stories, please subscribe and share the wealth. We've got more about Brianna on our website, so click on the links in the show notes of this podcast. And you can follow Brianna and learn more about heart rehab at MightyLoveCoaching.com. And in the words of Brianna Strum, I will never put 100% of my happiness and my self-worth into another human being. I love myself more and enough so that no one can take that away from me ever again.